Updog fella. Look good, feel good, play good. We got some new Adidas golf swag coming the fella's way. I don't know if any new golf swag would help your game, but, but I love it. Adidas is excited to introduce new offerings within the go-to apparel collection that allows you to bring your style to the golf course. Not the traditional golf uniform. Go-to brings a fresh attitude to the game wherever you play. You'll look good on and off the course while enjoying all the technical benefits that let you play your best. Featuring streetwear-inspired style, the go-to collection rewrites all the rules and encourages you to express your style through every swing. Explore the new go-to collection on adidas.com slash golf. Fella. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a fresh new episode of Missing Curfew. I'm Shane O'Brien, as always, with my boy, Scotty William Updog. Obes, how are you, fella? Man, you are just professional. In that everyday collared shirt, hair's looking good. I'm a businessman. I'm a businessman. Come on. Come in. Our boy on the East Coast, Broadway, Jimmy Scoops Hayes. What's up, baby? How's it going, boys? Uh, it was a nice week of hockey. My my Flyers got their asses kicked twice. And uh, Updog, I'm impressed, dude. You're looking good. Fuck yeah. I come in and uh, I'm running a little late. I got out of the pool. I was uh, running late. So Uppy's in here already. AirPods in, computer going, collared shirt, hair fucking flowing Broadway. Like that guy's, he's running Mr. Curfew. This, this guy fucks Broadway. He is doing a lot of fucking. Updog taught me too down in Florida. That you can never wear a pair of shorts to the bar. I remember we talked about it last week. I was laughing and seeing the guys in Arizona out of the bar or wherever they're wearing shorts. And Puppy said, that is not allowed. Fucking. As you're talking, Jimmy, I just fucking throw the old loafer up he's on got, the table he's, here. He's fucking. I don't know if he's I got went with the old Tom Doherty fucking loafers this morning. I woke up feeling good. I'm like, it's a fresh Tuesday, boys. We got a nice podcast coming. Great guest. I'm, I'm fucking feeling fresh. What can I say? Hey, Doherty would love those kicks. He, he, I just watched this movie in Vail of Wolf of Wall Street. He looks like fucking Jordan Belfort. Jordan Belfort here. Like, I just wish I had as many fun coupons as that guy. Um, boys, by the way, Vale's unbelievable. I mean, Broadway, it's right in our wheelhouse. All groom blues. Um, oh. My girl has a six setup. The condo is walking distance from the gondola or chairlift, whatever you want to call it. It's nice. Did you, uh, did you happen to hit the Lindsey Vaughn uh, little mogul session right below? Uh, it's right at the very end. Yeah, I, you know what? I didn't. We, we looked at one black diamond on the last it day. It gets a little tricky. Yeah, and I was <laughs> it like, gets a little tricky dicky down at the I, end. It there, does right? look like tricky dick. I looked at Christina and I was like, Fuck it. If I get hurt and I can't go to Maui and tee it up, I would just kill myself. But Vail, Broadway, put it on the list, man. It's it's up, dog. I know you skied it, so you think it's unbelievable, right? Yeah, yeah. The back bowls there. I, I mean, I went last year for the pretty much my first ski trip ever uh, after finishing in Switzerland, Obes. And I got two powder days, my boy Dougie. Um, and we, I'm like, after the fourth or fifth run, we got to the chairlift and I'm like, guys, this is fucking gnarly. Like yeah. this, this six feet of powder shit is crazy. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's the best when you ski like this. And they're like, have you, have you never been in powder before? I'm like, boys, literally, this is my first time skiing. <laughs> and they looked at me like you've followed us the last six runs and kept up to us and you've never fucking skied before. I'm like, yeah, yeah. They're like, you're fucking nuts. You're like, but I played 750 fucking games. Yeah. So Broadway, my, my girl, Christina, <laughs> she had this. She's been super disciplined, losing weight, and she she fit into her mom Vixter's ski outfit, a one piece purple little 
sexual outfit, but Ooh. when she threw it on, I was like, Look fuck a it. Sexy. Yeah, it reminded me of, of the movie Hot Tub Time Machine. See that movie? Remember that when you wake up and all of a sudden it's 1980? So I say that to her and she's like, she's like, I've never seen Hot Tub Time Machine. And then we get in the, the gondola or whatever and she loves talking to strangers, right? Like I'm, I'm not much of a talk. I got my tunes on. She likes to talk to strangers. So she starts talking to these two dudes and the one guy's like, I like your outfit. And the other guy's like, yeah, it reminds me of Hot Tub Time Machine. No so way. I was like, I told you, babe. You look like <laughs> um, By the way, tip my cap to, to Christina there for the S-curves I saw her doing on her Instagram down the hill. I'm talking knees tight, like perfect circles. I mean, I'm no professional skier, but that it wasn't just the purple outfit that was sexy. Yeah, she looked, uh, I told her ski, I told her ski, um, form looks rich, you know, it looks rich, like you yeah. want <laughs> a good job. <laughs> you look, uh, you look rich on the mountain, but, um, anyways, boys, we all got to get out and ski. And so Vale, check it out. Um, let's touch on a few other things before we dive into hockey here. Uh, uh Broadway, we'll start with you fella. TB 12 and the bucks, man. I, I was on the other side of it. I took the fucking Packers. Wow. I should have learned my lesson, but Broadway, what do you think from just as an athlete, as a Pats fan, what do you, what do you got to say about TB 12, man? It's pretty impressive. Well, we got to get his address so we can send him this guy fuck shirts because that guy is fucking... Do you see his jawline? He's the only guy that gets a skinnier jawline with age. He's like a fine wine. He's unbelievable looking. But uh, that's a tough bet for you to go against Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl. I think he's in his 19th season, so that's clipping at over 50%. It's a, it's a freak show. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, Aaron Rodgers, my heart goes out. It's some tough play calls in the first half at the end of the... At the end of the half, it was it was tough to watch, you know, Tom throw a 55-yard bomb, you know, to close things out. That's like, you can't have that in championship games. You just, you can't do that. That's all like, that common, though. That's like the Terry turnovers in hockey, right? <laughs> just throwing fucking pizzas up the middle with, with five seconds to go after. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know what I mean? That's you, what you, I was can't say, have, you, you can't have that. You can't give up a breakaway at the end of the period. You seem to go in the room and it just deflates even deflates more. Deflates like, you guys. Obi, so. how the fuck did you let that guy get in behind you? <laughs> I'm like, fuck, boys. <laughs> I didn't see him, for fuck's sake. So... Um, but yeah, that was sick, Obes. I just think watching Tom Brady again get a chance to to win a Super Bowl, to set records. We're we're watching greatness, you know, happen before our eyes. The kids of this day will we will be talking to their kids down the street. We, we've seen Tiger Woods do this. We were young enough to watch Gretzky do it. What he's doing is fucking crazy. It is and, crazy. Uh, you know, he's supermodel wife. Billions and billions of dollars. It's it's the whole package. He's probably got a rope on him, doesn't rope, he? <laughs> He's probably nice got a car, <laughs> beautiful house. <laughs> the one thing I noticed about that game was their fucking D were flying. Bucks D was fucking humming. But um, I like that Aaron Rodgers gave him a little parting shot. I'm excited for the Super Bowl. Um, I will be back, so I don't know if you're having a Super Bowl party or what. Uh, what's your plan for the Super Bowl? You're getting back from Vail? I'll be back again. Yeah, I'm going to Vail again, Broadway. Tough life, huh? Yeah. Again, uh, man. Yeah, fuck, why not? I'm going to do a Super Bowl party. I think you should. I yeah, just yeah, 100%. No, I think no, no, you, that yeah. was a great idea. Yeah. And, so. uh, you know, I'll get the pizza oven rocking. I'll get, get both. I'll going. get both TVs in there so, you know, we can keep up with our hockey at the same time as Super Bowl. So we'll be Super Bowl Sunday, man. It'll be fun. Um, boys, my Irish brother, Conor McGregor. Um, I, I told my friend Evan Knapp, who's a big UFC guy, I told him when the fight was signed that Poirier could knock him the fuck out. And it did happen. Um to Poirier, that guy's a killer. You gotta love what he does off out of the octagon with his uh, charities in Louisiana. Updog, I know you're watching. I was I was in a full panic mode. I wasn't working in Vail, so I called you and I know you were. What'd you think of the fights? You think McGregor's done or can he bounce back? Or 
Well, yeah, I think ESPN and Dana White are on the milk carton yeah. for the fucking hour, <laughs> hour and a half that that Twitter Twitter had an absolute meltdown. People wondering how the hell to get on this fight, errors logging onto videos, and so uh, you know we were over at Lupul's place. We finally got it up. Uh, saw a couple of the last bouts, and then you know what I saw, boys, was you know finally the lion in the in the jungle got fucking cracked and. And he wasn't invincible anymore. I know he's been beat before, but not with a, not with a punch to the jaw, right? So, yeah. um, I took him to win in the second round. I had a second round McGregor knockouts, good odds. Let's throw <laughs> sprinkled a little bit on there, you know, just to. <laughs> but fuck, I didn't know he was. I should have just went for the second round knockout. You <laughs> not know, the way, yeah, the other way. But I thought um, McGregor came in. He landed some shots and he was moving well. But those kicks that that Dustin Poirier yeah. was throwing. I was like, he's in big trouble here. Cause like he was getting kicked and his knees were buckling like three seconds later. And then you could see it, that knee buckled after one of those leg kicks and see you later. It was lights out. And then McGregor said it after. He's like, I've never been kicked like that. It was, it was tough to watch cause I wanted McGregor to win. Cause when he wins and he's on the top of the USC, it is unbelievable. I'll tell you who else wanted fucking car to win was Dana White. Because <laughs> now, as, as, as much as you love Poirier, it's like Khabib's not going to come back to fight him. He just dusted him. But um, I give McGregor credit. For, he has that much money. He still competes. But I just love that he showed up in the old Rolls, Rolls Royce Phantom. Eh? He came oh, out. Oh, yeah. I'm like, look at this right, fucking guy. Right on the island. This guy fucking thing there. I don't know. But um, <laughs> that, that fu- I mean, listen, Connor stood in the ring, stayed around for his interview, fucking tipped his cap to, to Poirier. Yeah. It was. And he said, fuck, I'm getting back in here. Uh, he's a crazy fucking Irishman. He still wants to play. He knows that that's where his money is. Yeah. You know, he has his alcohol. He has his his cars. He's having another baby. But, you know, when he's in the ring, people are fired up, man. Yeah, he, I guarantee you after that fucking tilt, though, he had a little bit of proper 12 and maybe a perk daddy on that private jet home <laughs> because that leg was fucking buzzing. <laughs> a but, couple. Um, boys, great weekend. Um, up dog fuck this was hilarious this guy Rick Rowley who came on the podcast already and roasted the boys he did this fucking missing curfew <laughs> clip of when you got traded to uh, to Columbus and it was like the guy was like do you want me to call you Scotty or uh, Scott or Scotty and you're, the guy's like I don't give a fuck I'm out of here at the end. what did you think when you saw it we yeah, all know no, Columbus is getting some hate now and I know you fucking weren't thrilled I, I haven't said one really good thing about Columbus since I, since I left there there's really not much to say good about the the city for for <laughs> hockey or anything. It was uh, well, the Buckeyes. Fan I was off. in Nashville. <laughs> listen, I was a Nashville guy. Uh, drafted there, uh, heart and soul at the tin roof. All my boys, good friends there. Obi, you know what I'm talking about. Columbus was our. They were our enemies. I, I I hated everyone in the dressing room. I love Rick Nash. We played together, but there was a lot of guys in the room at the time that that I had battled against for five six years and. Uh, Lo and behold, I leave Scottsdale, a uh, sick house on the golf course, fucking first, you know, we're first in our division at the time. I get traded to Columbus, you know, the trade deadline. And I'm like, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> and so, and, and <laughs> uh, we talked, we said this before, like sometimes you get traded and it's, it's a great situation for you, your family, new teammates, new opportunities, new coach, you know. But you get sent to fucking Ohio in in fucking March, and it's snowing and raining, and your buddies are still back winning games and fucking kicking everyone's ass, and then golfing after and doing their thing and, uh, and going to old town. I wasn't having Scott it. So, so rally, man. Uh, check it. Check out the video. It's a voiceover. He he labels it right on the head. Like uh, 
I don't care what you call me. I'm fucking. I'm, I'm out of here. There's no girls in the bar. I have nowhere to go have a drink after we after we try to win a game. So anyway, he's uh, he's a legend. We got to have Rally on here. He's yeah, yeah, he's he's a fucking beauty. And he, he what he does, give him, people if you don't follow him, give him a follow. He's a beauty. I actually was gonna have him on this week, but. Sorry, bud. You got bumped for fucking Stanley Cup winning GM. We got Brian Burke coming on later. So Rick Rally, suck it. Berkey bumped you. But um, probably it just means that we probably got some clips coming. Maybe where we got some funny shit. But that's <laughs> that's great for So Rick, we appreciate the support. I sure hope so. Uh, Broadway, I want to ask you from an American-born guy. It's a great one's birthday today. 60 years old. Obviously, we know what he did for Canadian guys. What, what, what did Gretzky mean to you growing up? And what did he do to, like, I think without the trade to LA, Hockey's never the same in the southern states for sure. Yeah, uh, Gretzky is what you call a living legend, and I think it's so cool that he has his own locker on Goat Alley down at Jordan's Course. But he's a, a kid that you you dreamed of being and trying to be as good as him. Obviously, he is the great one. And being able to grow up and idolizing a guy like that who scores goals and pretending you're being him, it's, uh, it's amazing what he's done for the game. He's grown the brand. He's huge for it. And uh, my brother actually got to have uh, breakfast with them and pick his brain with knowledge. And he's always sharing his knowledge. And, you know, it's awesome to see him. And he got to end uh, 2020 with a hole in one. And so hopefully he gets another one here in 2021. And happy 60th birthday. Yeah, happiest 60th to uh, to the great one. Um, I got a quick little story. At the Winter Classic in St. Louis, uh, we played at Bush Stadium. We had the Hawks there. All my family came in for for Christmas and New Year's. Uh, so I spent it with my little nieces. But um, after the game, we're all at Cafe Napoli, great little spot, having drinks. Um, and in walks Gretz. I'm with my cousin Ryan, my buddy Bizzle, their girls. And uh, uh, anyway, we're sitting there. And Gretz walks in with Trevor, his son. And they're like standing at the fucking hostess desk, right? And I'm like, I'm like what's going on? So anyway, Wayne, I, the- yeah, Wayne's standing there. Holy like kind of like looking around. I go up. I'm like, <laughs> Wayne, I'm like, what, what are you guys doing? He's like... <laughs> Pretty much he's waiting there for Bobby and Brett Hall. It's Bobby's birthday that night. So they're all coming to have dinner. And and they've been at the game all day. They're, they're, so Halsey's pinned. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're all pinned. So I'm like, well, hey, if they're not here yet, come have a seat with us. We're just around the corner. He's like, Trevor, let's go sit with Uppy. So I had Gretz as a coach, right? So I had the, you know, I felt comfortable to go grab him and whatever. Yeah. So he sits down. He orders six but, uh, six Heinekens, actually. It's a good yeah. start. Yeah, that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah, so you never have to, you don't have to reload for a little bit. And uh, so he sits there and we start telling a story and I'm like, um, I, I just go, Gretz, I got to tell you, you're the only coach I've ever had in the NHL that's put me out on the fucking five on three power play. So I don't know what, I don't know what I was doing out there, but like, what thanks, bud. I appreciate that. And he's pretty much looking at me and his fucking wheels are turning. And he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. That's why I can't get a fucking coaching job anymore. It's, he's like, I was wondering why years after I left Phoenix, no one would ever call me. He's like, I'm putting Upshaw out on the fucking five on three. What the hell is going on? So anyway, that was a, to, like, as as funny as he is, um, he's, you know, he he remembers your name. He's He is the great one for yeah. all facets, not just what he did on the ice, what, but what he's done for the game. And, um, you know, happy birthday, Wayner. Yeah, for me, I've never met Wayner. So the fact that you've played with him and you know him and, and our boy Russ Courtnell and, and Wayner are super tight. So hopefully maybe someday I'll, I'll be able to play golf with him and he can take some money off me. But, you know, for Wayner, man, like I watched some clips today on social media and just like, you know, they talked to Mess and, and Glenn Sather and like all they just said is how much smarter he was. And, and the one stat was if he never scored a goal, 
I, I obviously knew this, but if you never scored a goal, he still lead the all-time scoring just by assists. So, and then they talked to Koff, and Koff said the night that he was going in, it was his 39th game when he got 50 and 39. I guess they were driving the rink together, and, and Gretz is like, fuck, you know what, Koff? I feel pretty good tonight. I might get five tonight. <laughs> and sure enough, the fucker went out there and got five. So just as ex-teammates just said, the, the confidence and... For you people out there, if you ever have something, I don't know if you can still get it, but Lupul told me, yeah, Lupul told me about this Broadway. It's called The Boys on the Bus. It follows the fucking Oilers the year I think they lose in the finals, right, Uppy? To Phil, to uh, Islanders? To or? the Islanders, yeah. yeah. I think it's 83. Yeah, so they follow them all year, and there's a couple clips where the great one is just fucking pinned. <laughs> He's like, Glenny, I can't fucking shake this guy. This guy won't fucking leave me alone, so... To the great one, Uppy, I, I know you got to play with him. Happy birthday, buddy. For I'm sure every player thanks him for what he did for the game. Yeah. yeah we wouldn't absolutely. be living in Southern California if, it, if he never got traded, I wouldn't say, because I don't think the Ducks would have a team, right? You think it would still happen? Yeah. I, I don't think he was as, as upset getting traded down here as I was going to Columbus. That's, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a damn sure. I mean, he was on to something coming down to the nice uh, Southern California. I tell you, there's something about this place that doesn't want to make you leave. Who was the GM of Columbus when they traded for you? Uh, our GM always was Scott Housen, who ended up going to Edmonton Scott as an assistant. Housen. Scott Housen. He was assistant GM in Edmonton um, a couple of years later. Well, Scott, if you're listening, you should have fucking <laughs> left the updog alone because he had a nice thing going. You got me for 22 games. I got you six goals. <laughs> <laughs> um, how much time coming. did you spend on Ohio State? Did you go there? There was a little Eddie George bar there. Did you ever? That's where I yeah. used to go on the road in Columbus, Eddie George's. And there was yeah, always yeah. a little bit of Ohio State girls floating around. Yeah, there was. That's but where my wife went. Oh, wow. Is she? Oh, nice. Well, that makes yeah, sense. Right. That's the only good thing coming out of Columbus right there. I remember, <laughs> I remember a hot little blonde there at Broadway running around. <laughs> no, listen, there was no college football at the time. I got traded the wrong part of the year. So it was quiet, it was quiet on, on campus. Did you, you know, go he, there, though? Like, did you go walk yeah, around? Yeah, I cruised up there. Right? Yeah. 100% um, you were up on that campus. <laughs> Broadway, obviously, we've, we've talked about this. It's a different year, and now we saw what happened to, to, to Ovi and the Russian connection there in Washington. You know, hanging out in the hotel room. Fuck up. You back in the day, if coaches would have, they would have begged us to fucking sit in the hotel room and play cards. But um, I guess he agreed on it. When I first heard this Broadway, I thought it's a little aggressive. I, I don't know why. I just thought, fuck, if they can't even hang out in the hotel room together, what the fuck are they supposed to do? But they agreed on it before the, the, the CBA. What were your thoughts? $100,000 fine of the Caps, and those Russian guys got four games. Um, I agree with Ovi's wife said they can sit there and high five and hit guys on the ice and there's no COVID issue there. But when they're hanging out in the hotel, they're going to get fined a hundred thousand suspended four games. I think, I think it's complete bullshit to be honest, but like, uh, like you said, it's a weird year. They have to follow the rules, but I feel like if that kid Samsonov doesn't get COVID, then this is not even the fucking issue. So it's just crazy how all this shit worked out. Yeah, Uppy, what do you think they would have found us if they would have known what was going on in our rooms back in the day? But, they would have uh, added money to your paychecks. <laughs> Uppy, Broadway, great point. The one guy did have COVID, so that was the problem. But Uppy, what were your initial thoughts? I know you you give these players a lot of respect for playing. What did you think when you heard it? Um, I just have something on my head that I got to tell. Yeah, yeah, so this reminds me of having like, <clears throat> we'd have team parties obviously in in the rooms right like if you if the coach was like hey we don't want you going out tonight what we'd all just we'd all just fucking humming. parties <laughs> no so we're in st paul minnesota i'm, I'm on the preds and yeah. the st paul hotel in minnesota yeah. super thin walls um right so you could hear a fucking door you know, door latch open you can hear the guy next to you having a fucking shower whacking off you can hear anything <laughs> anyway so one time we come home from the bar we got some girls back and we're all just kind of hanging out Mini sneaky good town, by the way. And 
it's our whole, like everyone's got the little locks. So whenever someone's going in and out of a door, it's smacking and it's loud. It's like probably 1.30 in the morning. We just won. So anyway, we're in this one room. Trotsy calls and someone, I, I won't name the name, picks up the phone and it's Trotsy and it, you know Trotsy's <laughs> voice, but he's like, hey, who, who's up there? I want to talk to one of the Nashville Predators. And the guy's like, sorry, who's this? And he's like, don't worry about who's, don't worry about who this is. I want to talk to one of the Predators. And then the guy's like, sorry, nothing but 50 goal scorers in here. <laughs> no Predators here, nothing but 50 goal men in here. And so fucking Trotsy lost his mind. So the a- next day we sit at practice and he fucking walks around the room and he's like, I'm upset with you guys. You're all partying in the, you know, in the hotel. You guys should know better. Everyone can hear you. And who the fuck was the guy that said there's no, there's only 50 goal men in the fuck. So, um, you know, having, having little gatherings in your room was, was harmless. It is harmless. It's all just getting together. But I think in this case, the NHL had to set guidelines and rules. So the government of Canada, different states, like we have the San Jose Sharks still haven't played a home game in their home arena. They weren't able to have practice there, training camp there because of the guidelines set by the state. So if, by the if, county, by the Santa Clara by the county, county or whatever. And by, you know, so yeah. the provincial governments in Canada is a reason why. But so these rules about, you know, okay, well, they won't congregate in each other's rooms. If they do, you need to crack down on them. So I think it's a, unfortunately, Bettman's got his hands tied here. It was a, a promise made to these, uh, the, the higher up people to get this going. And uh, it's a joke. I, when I first heard it, Obi, I think we talked, I'm like, how many, you know, how many babes did they have back in the room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who'd they sneak well, in? I, I just thought, fuck, these guys are getting suspended for hanging out in the hotel room. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. We were climbing down the fucking fire escape to get out of there. But um, <laughs> the one thing I wanted to ask both of you guys, like, you remember in playoffs, you have like a conference room, right? Like where the boys could go and watch other games and there'd be coffee and maybe a couple beers. Is that not allowed either this year from what you guys have heard? Is there, is there not like a team room where they are when you get to the hotel, you go in there and as you say, whack off all night and just watch whatever. Or is there no, is that not allowed either? Or do you guys know? Um, I'm pretty sure that you're not allowed to do anything. It's just kind of, they're trying to keep this as strict as possible, keep the COVID cases down. But I just don't understand how you can do that. You put these guys in a bubble. They went and played. They played awesome hockey. They're coming back and playing. Then they're risking it. Like you said, they're doing so many COVID tests that they need to figure out something, let these guys hang out. That's the best part is the team commodity. But I mean, I'm hearing that a lot of guys are playing Xbox these days now. The old Xbox. Eh? I guess that's, you have to do whatever you could, but yeah. Anyways, Ovi and the boys we're with you. hundred thousand dollar fine, but I, I get it. Safety first. It's just, I just feel for these guys because you know, you got to let off some steam somehow, but I guess you bring the old PlayStation on the road and, and get after it. But um, four I'm, games too, right? Four, four games, games, four games. You know who's happy about that? The Buffalo Sabres. They're like, here we go, boys. Hey, <laughs> we got a fucking chance now. We got a chance now. So, um, I hammered Buffalo that night and paid you? for it. Did you hammer them? Did they they oh, lost yeah. the first one, but won the second one, right? <laughs> they lost the first one. Yeah. So I got, I took that one on the chin. They actually, speaking of Buffalo, they actually look better than they're coming along. Yeah. I could be wrong. No, Taylor I mean, Hall is going to shove it right up my old fucking tailpipe. Stall has been good. They, good flow team. on Stall. When did Flo get so good? I don't know. Yeah. Oh. It's up there, yeah. Fuck. NHL, Unreal. Nice tweet. That's a, it's a solid jersey, too. That's a, that jersey fucks. Yeah, yeah. That team, team looks good. Yeah, so Taylor Hall, way to keep shoving up my ass. Ikes, we're pulling for you, you fucking beauty. Boys, we're going to talk to Berkey about this 100% because, as he would say, truculence should be in the game of hockey. The Tyler Myers hit. <laughs> I took some fucking heat on Twitter. People called me, uh, what they call me? A goon, washed up. One guy called me a troll. Never been called that before. So what did you think of the hit, Uppy? I think this hit has to stay in hockey. We're going to ask Berkey about it. When you saw it as a forward, 
I thought get your head up. What were your impressions of it? Yeah, it's a tough one when you when you see it from different angles. Um, and then this, when you think of the speed of the game and uh, the guys along the wall. So if this is an open ice hit, uh, the open ice stuff they're trying to take away, you know, because there's a lot of blind areas you can hit a guy. But when you come up a wall, you need to know what's on the inside of you. There's nothing on your right side. It's the boards. So just fucking have a peek. Just boards and blondes. eh? Just boards boards and blondes. And And hopefully more blondes than boards. It's a beer. There's some beer over there. (laughs) But but in all seriousness, like, just peek your head up. You're getting to the red line. Yeah. You're going to get fucking smoked. I don't care what the score is in the game. It's still fucking, you're on the ice. You got to protect yourself. Now, Myers is 6'8". He's going to hit guys, and it's going to be shoulder to the to the face. Now, principal point of contact, I think that the wording needs to kind of get changed. Um, and then, like, you know, for all the guys out there who like to hit, there's a lot of guys who don't, and they want guys to be protected. And to me, that's blah, blah, blah. It's pick your head up. It's a contact sport. It's <clears throat> the guys aren't out to – it wasn't – vicious it's not like he was attacking a guy and had a retribution or trying to retaliate but um you, you know i'm a fan of of a good hard body check that can change the change the course of a game or in this case this year these two game series so you know that's my thought i, I agree and broadly before we get your your thought um the Canucks have been struggling, mm-hmm. right? It's Myers. He's six foot seven. He's supposed to be big. He's supposed to be strong back there. He fucking wanted to maybe change the momentum of the game. The guy skated from the blue line to the red line with his head fucking down. And I thought, if you can't hit that guy, when the fuck can you hit him? Broadway, give us your thoughts on that fella. Yeah, that was well said by both of you guys. Like you said, he's six foot eight. He needs to play a physical game. He's not a vicious player. He I mean he hit the kid. The kid wasn't ready, so the hit was obviously a lot harder. But like that, that hit has to stay in hockey. And I like the response by Joel Edmondson the next night. He went right up in warm-ups and told him we're going to fight tonight. And, I mean, Joel Edmondson got the last laugh of that one. He he pounded on the kid. But I think that that's like how it's going to be handled. It could have been handled that night right in the game. But it was late, and that's the thing. is you're gonna, If you're going to hit a guy like that, you got to be ready to answer the bell. And kudos to both those guys for answering the bell. Jimmy, you just mentioned it. What, um, what I saw Joel Edmondson do the next game off the draw – um, is a big reason why I think the Montreal Canadiens right now are are just kicking ass and they're doing they're absolutely on the t-shirt they're fucking they're playing lights out their decor uh, are big and they move like Petrie, Sharat, Eddie, Romanov, Weber. I mean these are it's five pretty legit demon that are that are carrying the game and you know what it's like when you play against big guys like that it's like impo- it's impossible to get to the net and then when they get to the net they got to get past court you know carry price yeah it's it's the makeup of a good team they're pumping goals in josh Suzuki anderson Fox. is an absolute you know legend oh, right now time. he's wheeling um so that montreal team man they've made some they made some solid moves some good trades they're uh they're looking good i agree and um, we'll give Bergie some love, even though he threw us under the bus the one night in Montreal. Sure Bergie, you prick. Um, I thought it was great when I saw Edmondson. You're right. Myers, good on you both. The only thing I thought, imagine that barn was full in fucking Vancouver. Everyone would have been up fucking going. It would have been great. Oh, for that. Could have went to the, the Roxy Tilly. after the oh, fucking yeah. game, had a few. But um, I'm watching the Canucks Senators play last night. Canucks got a big win, thank God. And I had them. I was on tilt. I had a tough weekend with UFC and football. But I was about to turn the game off. And they had this meathead Austin Watson. Is that his first name? Austin? Is that his first name, Broadway? 
Yeah, that's yeah. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to leave this on, and he went full old school boys. He ran and learned the corner, <laughs> went to the other corner, ran. Another guy came all the way across the ice, ran Roussel, and then dropped his gloves. I was like, fuck, there yeah, we go. Yeah. That's, I'm glad I kept it on because you don't see any much. You nice. don't see that much anymore. Trying to so. pick his boys up and all. Yeah, they played two more times. They yeah. play them two more times before they head out of there. So it was like, who did he end up fighting? Russelli grabbed. Oh yeah, well that's a that's yeah. a good boat. Yeah, it was good. It was, was just, it? it was good. To, it was not much. Russell had the old seatbelt on him, but it was good to see a guy being like, "All right, you kicked our fucking ass, but we got you two more times. I'm going to try to, you know, he's a he's a old school guy. I just thought it was yeah. entertaining to watch. So, good boys, I mean, I know I got some fucking shifts on tape throughout my initial career that I like to delete, but I've never had one like this Pierre Luc Dubois kid. I mean, you know, he got his wish. We're going to get into that too. But Uppy, when you, as a guy who played over 750 games, if you're a veteran on that team and you see that guy who's making five bananas go out and fucking do that, well, what did you, what did you think? Obi, it was tough to watch. So you, you get a guy, he's the number one center. We've been talking about him for, for two weeks now. Um, enough was enough in Columbus. He, he needed the move. Um, the shift, 40 seconds long, hadn't got one since the first period. It's now the middle of the third. He goes in. He doesn't put his stick on one guy. He no. doesn't even fucking take a, a, a stride. He literally just glided a couple crossovers. I mean, it looked like a shift in practice where you're like, I, I am not. <laughs> when, when I'm not here today. When you're hungover, yeah, yeah, when you're exactly. hungover, just trying to get to the back of the line, you're like, I just try not to fall over and here. You just look at your two line mates. You go, do not pass me the puck. <laughs> just do not give me this fucking puck today because I'm going to fuck it up. Speaking of that real quick, fucking when I first got to Vancouver, Darcy Hornerchuk, this is in an NHL game. He's on the fucking strong wall. I give him the puck. He comes back to the bench. He's like, oh, we don't give me that puck there. I'm like, Horny, I have to give you the fucking puck there. You're the fucking strong side left footer. He's like, I don't want that there. <laughs> so, Jimmy, I don't know. Where what do you, you what want it? You, Jimmy, what did you think? Because it was, I mean, it, it doesn't happen a whole lot, but it was more of a basketball thing that, that we saw there, and it was a basketball trade, and we'll probably talk about that, Obi, but it's, it was just tough to watch. It was time to, I thought it was time for him to move on. Yeah, I thought that shift was so embarrassed. I thought he embarrassed himself big time. I know we were giving him the benefit of the doubt, being like, Torch, you got to either play this guy, like a number one center or not, and then when you see that shift, I mean, that that, that is unacceptable, and to your point, like a, a to a veteran, that Felino, who's a guy who plays the game so hard every single night, he had to have been bullshit at this guy. And like you said, 24 hours later, the guy's shipped out of town. And you know, sometimes you ask for a trade, you end up in Winnipeg. <laughs> Careful what you wish yeah. for, eh? No disrespect. To the, <laughs> I love the Winnipeg fans, and I used to love going to Earls there for after practice and bellying up. But um, listen, boys, I had I had Kevin Shovel Day off on yesterday too, and I asked him. Does that shift not scare you if you're, and I'm going to ask Berkey the same thing. Does that not scare you if you're a GM going to get this kid that, that he showed that type of character? And he said, I'm not going to judge him on one shift. You know, I love the way he's played throughout his career. He's a young talent. I'm building my squad up. We all make mistakes. And I was like, okay, that's, that's true. And then Pierre-Luc Dubois came on afterwards. And I, the two questions I asked him were, how did your teammates handle the whole situation? And he was honest. He said, some guys were, were, were handling it okay. And other guys, they had enough of it. And then I said, what about the shift? And he said, well, I have over 6,000 shifts in this league probably and all the rest of them are fucking legit shifts and this was just a bad one. It's not defining me. So he seemed like a pretty good kid, Uppy, but I just said that the, the point I made to him was try not to disrespect the game and he kind of appreciated that too. Yeah, that's good on you to ask him a couple of tough questions. It's, yeah. it, we're older guys. We've been put in situations like that, Jimmy, where you fuck up and you don't see the ice for, for a period and you might look back at the coach and give him a fucking you know, stink eye. Oh, yeah. But you're not 20, you know, you weren't 23. And you, you weren't know, making five bananas. You're not making five bananas. And so 
so I guess my point to this is there's been times I look back at my coach, whether it was uh, whoever, Kevin Deneen or Trotsy as a young guy. And as much as I hated him, I couldn't go out and do that to like my teammates. I might go out and do something really dumb. I might go take a fucking elbowing penalty and, and put my team down, unfortunately, <laughs> but it's going to be through a little bit of hard work and piss and vinegar. It's yeah. not going to be just like, I don't give, you know, I don't give a shit. Yeah, and, and, and I also asked him about Torts, and I said, hey, man, listen, I played for Torts as a young kid in Tampa. Like, he'd pull me out of every, in between the first and second, second, third, pull me in his office, show me a clip, and fucking rip me for the whole year. And he actually said that, you know, he didn't hate Torts. He thought, you know, Torts was hard on him because he cared about him. And that's the old thing, I'll be like, if I always thought when the coach stops talking to you and doesn't even know you're at the fucking rink, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Like when yeah. I was in Calgary, like Hartley, when you're Hartley, like I came in the hallway, Hartley go the other way. I was like, Ooh, fuck. I'm in one here. But sometimes coaches as young guys are just trying to motivate you. Yeah. Yeah. No, everyone's different. And when we've asked some of you, know, we've all had chances to talk to coaches now that we've left the game. And I actually, you know, as my years went on, some of the best, I had some of the best moments in Switzerland talking to my coach there because I felt more like, uh, I was more influenced, influential to him and like how he could get the best out of some of his younger guys because he just looked up to the way, you know, my career had gone and who I was. And so when you feel like you're, uh, you can help like a coach get the best out of players, it's, it's managing these players' attitudes and their personalities and not every one kid is the same. And, um, you know, what, what we saw there is Torts maybe going, all right, I'm going to light a fire under this kid's ass. Um, it didn't work, semi-backfired for both people, and you know now they move on. But when I say moving on, I think that <clears throat> I think Winnipeg won the won yeah. the trade. I mean, they got a number one center at his uh, half decent. If if he's playing half decent, he's a number one or two center. If he's playing really good, him and Shifley are they're not Drysaddle and McDavid, but they are fucking a great one-two punch. And then you got Stastny as your third line center. Yeah, or you move Stas to the wing and Lowry, who's a big boy, plays. Yeah, I love and that then, guy's and game. And then you have Perot. I love that guy's game. Yeah, yeah, and then you have Perot. So they they legit have four guys. If one guy goes down from you know hanging out in a in, in a room with four other guys and gets suspended, <laughs> then you then you fill in you know the yeah. fifth center. So but, Broadway, well, yeah, Oppie, I, I'm gonna say sorry to cut you off. I'm gonna say I I think Columbus won this trade. Now Torts gets a bad fucking beat sometimes. But what John Tortorella can do is he can motivate. You know, he, when I was a young kid, he was hard on me. But fuck, I, to this day, I respect John Tortorella. If I saw him, I'd go right up to him. You can't teach someone to shoot the puck like Patrick Liney. I mean, his release, he was off to a great start. He got injured. Um, I think he's going to go there. I think Torch is going to motivate him. I'm concerned about his foot speed as, you know, in two or three years, if we're talking about this trade, maybe his foot speed might, I don't know, he needs to work on it. But I think right now, Broadway, I like Columbus. I think they won that trade with Liney. What are, what are your thoughts? I agree with you, Obes. I think uh, Columbus is getting a player that can score 50 goals every single year. Like Dubois is a hell of a center. He's number one center. He's going to make the, the Jets deeper. But I think Liney goes in and helps Columbus right away. And I was listening to uh, on the radio that day and talk about how Torch is such a good motivator. He can motivate this kid, change his work ethic. Kid gets faster, maybe gets in better shape if that's the issue with the foot speed. And he's going to become a hell of a player for Columbus. And, you know, he's going to score a lot of goals on that power play. Boys, what do you think Torts is going to say if he sees uh, Patrick Liney's 
handle on Xbox playing Call of Duty <laughs> till about six six a.m. in the morning on the night before a game. What do you think? What do you Torch. think that conversation is going to be like when he comes to pregame skate? Torch. Hey kid, yeah. hey kid, what the fuck were you doing last night till six thirty in the morning? Because yeah. I got because I got your handle here publicly shown that you're playing fucking xbox for 12 hours straight you're playing some fucking 14 year old kid in finland on fucking yeah. call of duty till fucking like yeah. boys this shit happens there was there was reports that something like that was going to come out last year to show just like the how unasserted patrick liney was to to the game and to his teammates because that's like i mean what's worse hanging out with a babe in your room till three four in the morning <laughs> We know the answer to that question. Or playing Xbox still fucking six. Like, come on. At least when you're all, you know you're going to sleep well after four o'clock. Yeah, once yeah, you, totally. once, you, you once you're done, of... you're like, all right, yeah, time to go. I got to go to bed. I got to practice tomorrow. You deal with some sex legs, but hey, that's well worth it. Yeah, so convolve those guys. Listen, enjoy the fucking game. Before you know it, you're going to be sitting here old like us doing a podcast. So um, Broadway. If they're lucky. Broadway. Buddy, fucking Jimmy Scoops, you called this guy. I thought it was a bad signing. Tyler Tuck Foley, as you call him. This guy's been doing the fucking great call, Jimmy Scoops. What do you thought? What do you think of his start? And he's just snapping it, isn't he? He is on fire, boys. He's got, what has he got? Uh, five goals in six games here so far. He's making that Montreal team so much better. They're putting big offense. They got the two good goalies. Jake Allen's helping Montreal big time. Jake but Tyler Tuck Foley, like you're talking about foot speed, uh, O'Brien here often. And that's a guy that we criticize foot speed, but he's getting it done. Like those guys that can shoot pucks, they put themselves in spots where they only need one chance and it's going in and that's helping their team big time right now. Yeah, Broadway. I'm I'm chirping everyone about their foot speed because I got chirped my whole career about mine. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm gonna start <laughs> dish, I'm gonna start dishing it out. But Updog Tuck Foley reminds me of when I see him in the Montreal jersey with the right shot. He's wearing 73, right? That's what number he's wearing? Ryder. He reminds yeah, me of Michael. I'm like, this guy is fucking yeah. Michael Ryder, who's a good newfie. Good isn't newfie, he? yeah, yeah. But um, what do you think of Tuck Foley? Just a great start, or can he keep it going? What, you're, you were a goal scorer. Listen, my first year I got to St. Louis in 2016, 17. <clears throat> um, I don't know if it was the Olympics that year. It might have been, but he was like ranked to go like be a top six forward for the Canadian Olympic team. Like the guy, the way the guys were looking at him, uh, Doug Armstrong in particular, like I remember the conversation where he's like, man, like our eyes on Toffoli. Now, I don't think he made the team, but he he was right there. And this is only a couple years, a couple years back, maybe a couple injuries, a couple off years for the, for the Los Angeles Kings. But this guy's won. He's got years left. You know, maybe it's, it's not uh, Tyler f- f- foot speed f- yeah, yeah. F- Foley. He's not going to win fucking, the fastest skater. At the no, no, no. So it's, it's Tuck Foley. It's, it's Tuck, Tuck Foley, Foley baby. It's, it's get it on his stick in the right spot. And, you know, he, he puts it in the back of the net. A lot like our boy Loops used to do. Like the guy, yeah. you know, just yeah. they have a knack for the spots on the ice they need to be. And when this puck's on the stick, it comes off just as, just as fast. And, uh uh, and attest to just the way this this Montreal team's built and the way they're vibing right now. And, um, you know, these points early in the season right now in such a shortened season are going to be huge down the stretch. And if you can build this little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a lead, just get out in front of these teams, it's hard to catch up, man. I agree. And listen, I've, I've met Toffoli through a good friend of ours, Nikki, and um, hung out with him. Him and Richardson are good buddies. He's a great kid. So um, I wasn't trying to hate on him, but I just thought, you know, but man, I was fucking wrong because he's snapping it. And you know, you say Montreal's humming, and I'm gonna give some love to Webbs. You know, you look back at that trade now, PK Subin for Shea Weber. You know, it's 
a clear cut win for Montreal. Um, Webbs is a great leader. He looks refreshed out there. He looks like he's moving better. Um, they look good up dog. And he's they got th- some they healthy look, knees. Yeah. Now. They yeah. look like if you get in the playoffs against those guys with the back end that you said, um, yeah, the Montreal Canadiens are flying. So up dog, you, you fucking, you, you could be a GM slash scout too, because you've been talking this kid up. Bowden Byram. I finally got his fucking name right. Scoopsy. I got, I finally fucking yeah, got it right. Finally. Um, got in the lineup, started in the third pair before, you know, what he's playing with Kyle McCarr, which I was hoping to see. This kid looks like the real thing. I mean, the abs are, they're going to bust loose. I think I'm taking them tonight, even though they're minus 220. I'm hammering. I don't give a fuck. This kid, he fucks up, dog. Yeah, he sure does. He's, I mean, <clears throat> living up to the hype this year, going into this year, um, you know, one of Canada's best best players. I think, you know, the NHL prospects had him at number one uh, for all prospects coming into this season. And and what he's doing, he's, he, he took a while to get through the, the protocol. And, you know, he got his first couple games in Anaheim. Um, but boys, he just, he skates so well, the maturity you see in these younger players, uh, young D men in particular, like it, it doesn't take these kids long back when we played it, it used to take a defenseman, you know, two, three years of maturing before like he, uh, like a good quarterback would, right. Just making the smart play, knowing when to throw it away, uh, knowing how to hold on to the pucks, you know, what it's what Hughes does in Vancouver. If you explain Hughes' game to someone, it's so it, – he doesn't look like he's an all-star, but, like, he never makes a bad play with the puck. And then he puts his teammates in the right spots. Like, he doesn't give a puck to a guy that's just going to, you know, have no option. Um, so the confidence that this this Byram has is great, and I, I'm I'm excited to see what the future holds for that, that back end uh, and the Colorado Avalanche because McCarr is badass too. Yeah, I think like you said, up these young defensemen coming into the league, like it's it's rare to see it, but you've seen it more and more now. And I think the number one thing for these kids is their hockey sense. Their hockey sense is through the roof. Like that dish he made uh, for his assist on, I think it was Rantanen's goal. Yeah, the fir- his the first wall. assist, sick. That fir- that that pass was just nasty. And his his patience, his skating, and his skill are just they're so elite. But it all comes back to his hockey sense, and I feel like. He's so good. He makes the right play. He thinks the game the right way. And he's just putting himself in spots to succeed. And he, like he said, his skating is next level. Yeah, Updog, you made a great point. As a former D-man, you're right. You know, it'll take you five years before you. Like, I felt like I was just still figuring out the position when I got fucking put out of the league. Maybe that's why I was out of the league. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, it wasn't until my fifth or sixth year where I was finally like, all right, this is, I've seen this read before. I've seen this play before. Like, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to go over there and chase Uppy and he's going to slide it to Broadway back door. So for these kids now that come in, especially at the defense position, you couldn't be more accurate. They come in, they play with fucking no fear. And they're just, yeah. I mean, this kid he's him and McCarr are going to be a nice pair for a long time. So good on you up dog way to do your scouting report. Um, boys, I don't know if you saw it. I had Getsy on uh, with my boy Cooley on the power play. Uh, Getsy did this unbelievable thing for this girl who's been battling breast cancer twice. Um, she's been a huge Ducks fan, a huge Getzlaff fan like yourself, Scoopsy. And she's going to be the 21st Duck come to a game. Uh, I don't know if you guys caught it on Twitter. It was super emotional. Um, so to Getsy, buddy, I just want to say you're a class act, buddy. You represent the Ducks in Orange County fucking amazingly. And the thing I want to get with you boys is I asked Getsy about being a UFA for the first time in his career. He's never been in this situation he said he's in the present. He's not thinking about it. He's just trying to win hockey games. Uppy, if you're Getsy, you know, what do you think's going to unfold here? Do you think he stays in Orange County? Um, would he maybe move? What, what, do you, what do you hope and happens to our boy Getz? I wish, <clears throat> I wish the best for Getsy. I think, uh, I think this season probably won't go the way um, 
he's hoping it will. And he might get put in a position where, you know, he's forced to to maybe take a take a trade or or be part of, you know, helping the Anaheim Ducks uh, rebuild for their future. I mean, it's there's no question that if if the Anaheim Ducks fall out of this, they're going to look to make changes to build for the future. They are already in, you know, rebuild mode. And Getz is a big piece of it. He doesn't have a whole lot of years left, but he's he's still Ryan Getzloff. He's still the guy everyone is mesmerized by when the guy's got the puck on his stick. And all of a sudden, you put him in a you put him in a position to succeed again with quality players around him again. It's you know he puts himself in a chance to win. Now that if Ryan Getzloff wants wants to go win another cup, it's probably not in Anaheim. Um, so that's his decision. But moving away from California, really, you know, I don't think that that's something he wants to do. His family's here. He's doing a lot for the charities. He's had his golf tournament here for 10-plus years. So um, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out for, for our boy Getze. Oppy, that's great. the great point there because I think Getzlaff, unlike Dubois, he has earned the right to ask for a trade if he wants one. But I think his legacy and what he has done for Anaheim and for the Anaheim Ducks, I think – he probably wants to stay and be a duck for life, retire a duck, because that's a huge feat for any player. I know guys love playing for one organization. He's got his cup, but it's all going to come down to what he wants to do. He proves he can still play. Does he want to go chase another cup? I don't know. That's something he would have to answer, but I think he earned that right the way that he's played throughout his career, that if he wants to leave, they should reward that. But at the same time, he's got everything set up in Anaheim. He's done a hell of a job in the community there, and he's a – He's a big role model in that organization. Yeah, exactly. Well said, boys. Getsy, listen, you know, the 15, it's going to be hanging in the Honda Center for sure. I think he has a future. I tell him this all the time when I play golf, mainly because I want a job maybe someday. But I think he could be a future GM for the Ducks. Um, I was just happy that he said he was present, enjoying going to the rink, and, and just trying to win hockey games. So, Getsy, good on you. Boys, way to snap it around the round table here. We have uh, Stanley Cup winning GM, good Irishman, Brian Burke, coming up next. So, uh Let's break it down with Berkey. Uh, Mr. Curfew fans, welcome back. Updog Broadway. Um, it's an honor to have this Stanley Cup winning GM. Good Irishman. Uh, we just found out when we brought him in that he traded both me and Hazy. So, uh, <laughs> Brian Burke, Berkey, thank you for joining us here at Mr. Curfew. We appreciate it, buddy. You got to move that mic stand, Obi. It's right in front of your face. <laughs> I've been told I got a face <laughs> yeah. for radio. Yeah, we so. can't be having that. I, I actually think he looks fucking damn good today. But um, <laughs> so Berkey, uh, Berkey's got a book out right now, Berkey's Law. I, I lived it myself a little bit throughout the Ducks organization. So um, Berkey, I've always loved you, and, and I just want to start off with. I want to get your opinion on the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation. Um, I had Kevin Shovelday off on yesterday, and I asked him about the shift. Now, as a former GM. Would that scare you at all with his character, the way he handled the situation in Columbus, or are you just going strictly off his talent, new situation, fresh start? Well, first off, I don't like that shift. I don't like the way it ended there at all. But I remember when we were preparing for that draft, we spent a lot of time on Pierre-Luc Dubois because we weren't sure what the sequence was going to be. And so we spent a lot of time on him, and he's a good kid. He checked out great, very articulate, good teammate. Uh, I think he just – made a bad error in judgment, but I think he's a good person. I wouldn't worry about it if I were Winnipeg. Yeah, and, and, you know, we had this discussion also, Berkey, you know, in your opinion, I love Lonnie. I love the way he shoots the puck. Uh, I don't think you could teach that. In your opinion, you know, right away, who do you think won the trade? Do you think it's a fair hockey deal? You don't see many of those fair hockey deals anymore. Is that what you would call it, kind of? 
Yeah, I would. I think you got to remember the hardest thing in the world for any GM in any sport is trading a distressed asset. So when you're trading a guy and the other GMs know he wants out, you're going to get offers like anchors, right? You're going to get garbage offers. It happened to me when Pavel Burry held out and refused to play. And I did not make a good trade on Pavel Burry. I got Ed Jovanovsky, who was an important player for us. But Pavel scored 50 goals two years in a row in Florida. So I think given the fact that they're both trading distressed assets, the second hardest thing for a GM is to trade a star player because usually it's a package deal, a volume deal. So you go back and look at Eric Carlson gets traded to San Jose. It's a couple kids, a couple prospects, a couple picks, none of which helped Ottawa immediately, or a couple guys did, you know, but basically San Jose gets the more immediate help here. They both get immediate help. And I wouldn't discount, you know, you're getting a center, you're trading a winger, so you got to put Setmouse in the deal. You put Jack Roslevic in the deal. He's a Columbus kid. I think he'll be a good asset for Columbus too. So I think they both did just fine. Yeah, Berkey, uh, I had a conversation with David Poyle back when I played in Nashville after the Joe Thornton trade to San Jose. And he kind of grabbed me aside and was, was asking me, like, who do you think won the trade? And, of course, I'm like, well, you know, I'm trying to break it down. He goes, the team that gets the better player usually wins the trade. Whether, whether or not that's true in, in this case, um, I look at it as a centerman to a, you know, to a goal-scoring winner, but a uh, winger. Anytime you can load up your lineup with good young centermen that, that can build around your team, I think, I think you're doing pretty good. And in this case, you know, I, I think the immediate winner is Winnipeg. Just having a good number one center against, you know, the dry sidle and McDavid's. Um, you need to have loaded up centermen, I think, to, to be competitive nowadays. Yeah, except I think the, that disregard, the one thing I'd quarrel I'd pick with you is, in general, center's a more difficult position to play, a more important position. This is a big guy who plays in all three zones and can score. So if you do it just one for one, then, yeah, you say one. But Roslovic is a good player. Like, they got him back as well. It's not just Patrick Reine. <clears throat> Uh, Roslovic is a guy that, to me, is a good bottom six four. He played at Miami. He's a, a good guy, USNDTP. He's a Columbus kid, and he'll be a useful right shot center for them. So, to me, when you add up the totality, Winnipeg got back a third-round pick. You add it up, I think it's pretty even. Yeah, Berkey, I agree. I had Jack on yesterday with, with Cooley, and um, he was just excited to be in his hometown, uh, looking forward to playing center. So, I agree with you there. And, and Berkey, I just want to ask you, because you were so honest as a GM, right? Like you knew where you stood with you if you liked it or not. Is this a slippery slope with these young kids, these superstars saying, hey, I want out of Columbus and I'm not going to you know, go out there and compete because I know they're going to trade me, almost like NBA style. Is it a little concerning from an old GM like yourself? Yeah, well, thanks for calling me old. No, I'm yeah. a Berkey <laughs> Venture GM. Wiley. Venture GM. Uh, yeah, it, there's a risk there. And you look at It's not the first player asked out of Winnipeg. You know, Jake True wanted out of there. So you worry about long-term, is this a trend? I mean, keep in mind, people say, well, the player should be able to pick where he plays. So if you graduate from university in Toronto and you want to teach high school in Hamilton, you can wait till you get a job in Hamilton. In the NHL, we pay real good wages, but you don't have a choice where you play, and they own your rights for up to eight years. That's how you make that money. And so, yeah, it's something you got to keep an eye on. Yeah, okay. And before I turn over to Broadway, I had to get your opinion on, on the Tyler, Tyler Myers hit. I, I know you've 
the way you built your hockey teams and the way you think about the game. Um, there's been some traction in Canada. I'm sure you've already talked about this week, but but that's a hit that I believe we have to keep in our game. When you saw it, were that your thoughts? Or, or what do you think about the, the rule, the hit to the head, Rule 48? Well, I, I know Cooley wants to go to the international rule, but we've got to <laughs> keep that hit in our game. I mean, when I when I first saw the hit, I thought he's gonna he's gonna sit. I thought it was a headshot. Then I watched the replay. I'm like, I don't think it was even a minor penalty. No, I don't blame the referees for getting fooled on that one because it looked ugly. But there's got to be some onus on the puck carrier too. If you're fishing around for a puck with your head down, when you know you're surrounded by angry people on the other team, guess what's likely to happen? So I thought it was a clean hit. I don't think there should have been a penalty. I don't blame the officials for getting it wrong. But the fact that the league didn't impose supplementary discipline makes perfect sense for me. The IHF rule is a disaster for me because you make some contact with every big open ice hit. There's some head contact, and the guy I think it's I think it's five and ten I think in in that league or two ten and something, and it, it takes that hitting out. We want that hit in our game. Yeah, especially along the wall too, Berkey. Like if if you're carrying the puck up the wall. There's only one side of the ice that that you got to worry about, you know. So you do have to pick your head up. The onus is is on you, and and if you take that hit out of the game, it turns into, it turns into a lot of stick work, you know. A lot of guys getting away with a lot of stuff out there, and quite frankly, entertaining hockey is when it's played rough and when these guys do get their blood boiled. And I I like that hit. It doesn't help that he's six eight. So the rule of of the principal point of contact to the head sometimes needs to be, you know shuffled around yeah. when there's a bigger guy hitting a, a guy that's yeah and i agree and, and berkey we know that there's you know Van, vancouver's been struggling and myers is a big boy on the on the back end he's trying to you know change the the, the momentum of their season and uh, with all these back-to-back games so i couldn't agree with you more i think that's a hit we need in hockey and um broadway what do you got for berkey and, and, and by the way i yeah. like the response i mm. like the fact that joel Edmondson said okay the league Great didn't impose supplementary discipline but i'm gonna and then that takes all the garbage out of that game. They get the fight out of the way. Edmondson wins the fight. Tyler Myers took it like he should have, and he accepted the fight like he should have. Now it call okay, debt's paid, tab's paid, let's play. So there's not all the slashing and gloves in the face and all the crap. Sometimes a good fight will clean a game right up. Yeah, touche to Joel Edmondson for that. He's done a lot for that back end. Just, just a, a guy like that who steps up for his teammates like that, a big reason why I think Montreal is, you know, feeling like they're a team right now. They're one of the, the groups of, of players that, that you know, in, in a shortened uh, training camp and f- five, six games into the season, they're playing like a team. And it's because of guys like that stepping up and sticking up for his teammates. And uh, it's a big play by a good guy like that. Bergie, I, I saw your comments with about that uh, Lapernier not being loaned to Team Canada. Why would you, as a GM, loan him to a World Juniors and – and as the kid right now in the NHL that he's struggling a little bit, putting numbers early on, what type of conversations are you having with him that he's in a big market trying to handle his play? Well, I've had, unfortunately, because my team's finished poorly, I've had high picks. I had the Twins. You know, I picked in the top five. And, and, and it's not easy to go from being a talented 18 or 19-year-old. I think he just turned 19. It's not easy to go from playing against 18-year-olds in the World Junior and all of a sudden playing in the NHL. So – I predicted he'd have a slow start. I predicted everyone say he's going to score 50 points. I don't think he will. I hope he will. But the, the notion that kids can step in and play right away, very few. Look at look at Jack Hughes last year. Look at Capo Caco last year. It's a, it's a hard league to play in. And they're much bigger, faster, meaner, stronger, whatever adjective you want to use. 
it's a different group of players than you've ever played against before in your life. So I'm not surprised. Now, I hope he, he snaps out of it. Uh, the whole notion of loaning players to the World Junior, to me, is that that's such a formative experience for a young kid. And Jeff Gordon's a smart guy. And you can look at Chicago and say, well, if they hadn't loaded Kirby Doc, he wouldn't be hurt. But the process of going through, I agree with Chicago's decision, even though it had an unfortunate ending. The whole notion of going through that, they're cutting players. You're going through the whole process. The team's assembled. They're cutting players. You've got to have empathy for teammates and talk to them. It, it puts you in a leadership role that you don't get any other way until you're a captain in the NHL. So I always loan my players. I must are playing a meaningful role for me. In a typical year, your team would be playing. And if we had a guy like a Trevor Linden that was playing 14 minutes a night when he was 18, he ain't going anywhere. But they weren't playing. They could have loaned him, and I think they should have. I think it was a mistake. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, Berkey does do that because I remember my year in uh, Portland, you know, Getze and Penner and Perry were up. They went to the conference finals and lost to the Oilers. And Berkey the next day said Getzlav and Perry and Penner are coming to play game seven in Hershey. Yeah. So we were like, what? They're like, yeah, they're coming. So um, I, I think it was good for them. When they got there, they, were, they obviously were a little tired, but they came in and gave us energy as a team. We, like, we ended up losing in double overtime. But it was something I always respected from Berkey, giving us a chance with those guys in game seven, Berkey. Yeah, and uh, Getze reminded me, I recall going and telling them that they had to go, but he said I sent Bob Murray because I, I didn't want to. <laughs> they just played. They just played the conference finals, and I'm asking them to fly across the country, and and play in a game seven. They each had a point, at least one point in that game too, and we lost in overtime. They got on the ice in overtime. Maybe it was double overtime, but they got on the ice and then it came off and Hershey scored. Yeah, and that's the night you got that skate cut in your jaw, Ovi. Yeah, I got cut for no a lot right in the face yeah. there, and. Um, yeah, we lost in overtime, and then I had to get all the stitches out they put in, and all the boys were having beers, and I couldn't join them for another couple hours. But uh, <laughs> we and we, uh, we would have played you in the finals. Yeah, I was with Milwaukee at the time, and same thing. It was me, Tutu, Pekka Rene, and Weber got sent down after our season. I think we lost in the first round, though, um, in Nashville. But anyway, we we ended up losing to Hershey in six games that year in Milwaukee. Yeah, they were good. They were a good team. Hershey, yeah, they had a they had, um, they were the Washington team. But then what what else you got for Berkey Broadway? Yeah, Burke, speaking of that with the young guys, what are your thoughts on this whole taxi squad? Like you said, you got these young guys, you're putting them in the lineup. He's Lapinier is obviously struggling. Do you think it's huge for these young guys to be on the taxi squad or should they be sent down to the minors where they're going to start? I believe it's this week or next week starting uh, in the American League. Well, I would rather guys play, but you know this, Jimmy. Hanging around and practicing with NHL players every day and watching how they act and how they eat and how they hydrate how they stretch, how they work out. That's not all bad. And you get some good gym time in. So the taxi squad's not killing anyone. This is a great myth that this pause has hurt these young players. Jeff Sanderson was telling me his, his son, Jake, who went to Ottawa high, put on, I think, 20 pounds between March and the draft. 20 pounds. Say it was only 15. But he's a young defenseman. He put on 15 pounds. So to me, this is not wasted time. They're getting gym time. They're watching NHL players prepare. They're sitting in on meetings. Like, I think it has great value. But playing 18 minutes a night in the American League would be better, and you'll probably see once they start playing, you'll probably see some movement. Yeah. Uh, Berkey, I wanted to ask you, you know, the team you built in Anaheim when, when you know, they went on to win the Stanley Cup, I get it. You can't build teams like that anymore, Berkey, where, you know, you're going to bully your way out of the building. We could play offensive, defensive, fight, whatever. But, Berkey, can you still build a team now – 
with some kind of toughness and, and, and lean on people? Or is it just so fast now and so skilled that that element's kind of out of the game? Well, I think that what you're going to look for are kind of unicorns like Tom Wilson and, and Josh Anderson, guys that can skate at that level but still bring that element of fear to the other team. And um, I think there's still great value. So still the team that wants to win more and can impose their will is still going to win more if the other things are equal. So I think there's great value to players like that. I look at Gar Garnet Hathaway playing for the Capitals who can skate but loves to hit. I think there's still great value to players like that. And that's why if you look at how Ottawa got tougher, they brought in Austin Watson, they brought in Josh Brown. Uh, they're a much tougher. They got Michael Haley. They're a much tougher team. And I think that still has value. Absolutely. Now, we were top six, bottom six. By now, the model will be more like top nine, bottom three. But, yeah, I'd still have iron in the lineup. I just don't like watching the team play without iron in the lineup. And I always said to my skilled guys, you will never be afraid out there. You will never be afraid on the ice with one of my teams. We will always have a gunfighter, yeah. uh, usually three yeah. and sometimes four. I remember before the home opener, my rookie year, we were playing, uh, the Kings were coming down to play the Honda Center. And there was a quote from Berkey in the LA Times, something along the lines of, well, I'll tell you one thing this year in this freeway battle, we're not going to get pushed around this building. And I go to Fedoric, I go, what does that mean? He goes, be fucking ready. <laughs> be fucking ready. And I just remember, like, you said it, Berkey, like our team there, like, you know, we had four, Travis Mullen, Fedoric, George Perro, Sean Thornton, um, and Getsy and the boys, they could play their game and, and we could play it any way you wanted to. And it was, it was a lot of fun, Berkey, coming to the rink, wasn't it, with that team you put together? Well, that was a special team, and it's too bad, Obi, that we had to move you out. But people, I, I apologize to Obi whenever I see him because he, he was such an important part of the team. But we got a first-round pick and the Coleman kid for him, and we we really liked Coleman. We thought he was going to be an NHL player, goalie. We really liked him. And it, and it came to me, and, and I said to Randy, what do you want to do? And he said, well, we kind of need Obi. And I said, it's a first-round pick and a goalie that we think is going to play. I got I have to do this. So sorry about that, Obi. But it was fun to come to the rink, and it was fun. It's great when your skill guys, whether it was Pavel Burry or Marcus Naslin, Brendan Morrison, we always had muscle around them so they could play. And they didn't get those big point totals by accident. They got those big point totals because they weren't afraid. Absolutely, Berkey. And, and people already give you credit for the Sedins and the Pronger trade. I mean, I think getting the first rounder for O'Brien may be your best deal you ever made, personally. But, um, Berkey, another thing I want to ask you, buddy, and, and I know you have to answer it a lot, it's about the offer sheets. We, we talked a lot about it a lot on our podcast heading into, like Barzell, for example, Berkey. What is your thought? I remember what happened with Penner and you and Kevin Lowe in Edmonton, and, and ever since that kind of happened, you've never seen it. What's the reason we don't see more offer sheets, in your opinion? Well, because because teams are usually in a position to match them and you're not doing anything. If you're not going to get the player, why make an offer sheet? Now teams are willing to use them. That Jimmy Hayes is sitting right there. The reason I traded Jimmy Hayes to Chicago is we were having trouble uh, finalizing the, the Kessel deal with the Bruins. Well, if you offer sheet a, a guy, the draft picks have to be your own. So I needed to get back my second round pick from Chicago. I didn't want to trade Jimmy. But I needed that pick. And then I met with Peter Shirelli later that day at the Fours. And Jimmy will know the Fours. It's a great sports bar. It just closed. But in the shadow <laughs> of the, the Boston Garden uh, is the Fours. I met Pete Shirelli. I said, Pete, I got back my second. So if you don't make this deal tomorrow morning, I'm going to offer sheet Phil Kessel. So teams are willing to do it. It's just only if you're going to get the player. Otherwise, you're just driving up costs. 
And I think everyone looked at Tampa and said, they'll find a way to match. Uh, they looked at the Islanders and said, you know, Lou, Lou will find a way to match. Yeah. And said, we're not going to do it. I don't think teams are reluctant to do it at all. But if you're not going to get the player, it's just a waste of time. And you're just driving up wages. Well, how about like the like Sebastian Ajo? I felt like that offer sheet was a no-brainer for Carolina. So if I'm Montreal, why would they not offer more money? Like, is that the situation? Did they not have the picks? I'm not too sure, familiar with that situation, but it just seemed like it was a no-brainer for Carolina to match that offer. Well, uh, it turned out to be, but I'll tell you why they structured it that way. And this is Mark Bergerman is a smart guy, and the owner had said, "I am not doing any signing bonus. We are not doing any more than a four-year deal." We're not doing this. We're not doing that. So what the agent knew that structured the deal with Montreal to include big signing bonus money, all the stuff the owner said he wouldn't do. And then he matched it, which was smart, not dinging the owner. But he had said initially, like there are teams that won't pay big signing bonuses, St. Louis Blues. So that's why Petrangelo moved elsewhere. So you stick to your principles, and say we won't do this. But then they offer Shidaho and they like the dollar amount. And the owner said, OK, let's match it. So. I think it was a really surgical, scientific attempt to get a player out without uh, w- without overpaying uh, because of what they'd been told the team would not do. And then the team said, screw it, we'll do it anyway. So it was much smarter, a much more intelligently structured offer sheet than you'd normally see. It was designed to beat Carolina, that they wouldn't match that offer. And they did. And they kept a really good player and got him at a good price. Berkey, um, a lot of guys, actually everyone I've ever met who's played for you has, has such high things to say about you. But I want to ask you about our, our boy, Joffrey Lupel, who's been on our podcast. He's me and Obi's best buddy. We, you know, <laughs> we're with him all the time. But, um, you know, you drafted him. You traded him away once and brought in Pronger, uh, won a Stanley Cup. And then, uh, and then you traded him, you know, back to, to Toronto. What, you know, after that injury that he had here in Anaheim, um, career-threatening injury. What did you see in Joffrey Lupo that was going to, you know, turn him into a guy in Toronto that you could build a team around and have success there? Because you guys were, you guys were competitive and tough. tough. And I mean, Loops was a big part of that team. So what, what did you see in him as a, as a young athlete and a young hockey player that, you know, gave him that chance to come back and play for you? Well, I didn't draft Loops. Anaheim drafted him before I got there, but our first year, people forget, we won the Stanley Cup in 07, but in 06, we played in the conference finals. We had a good team, and we had a, a great money goaltender. J.S. Chagare is one of the great money goaltenders that ever played in the league. And if you told me a game seven, I got to pick a goalie, all these great goalies, I'd probably still go with Jiggy. So with Loops, we went to the conference finals. He was our best forward. He had a great playoff. We beat Colorado one night 4 nothing. He had all four goals. <laughs> sure did. So we get to the drink. We get to the draft and Edmonton dropped off trade proposals at four different tables. And ours was Lupel, Smead, two for, uh, and a first. And I said to Bob Murray right there, we have to do this. We love Loops. Like we didn't want to trade Jaffer Lupel. And we love Laddie Smead. Laddie Smead was a top young defense prospect, great kid. We didn't want to trade either of those guys, but we felt if we got Chris Pronger, that was the piece we were missing to go all the way. And we were right. So then when, when we got Loops, part of it was that I knew Loops would bounce back. He had, a, he had some good years for us in Toronto. But also that we, that by taking that cap hit, we got Jake Gardner in that deal, if I'm not mistaken. And that was important to us. So Jake Gardner, Jake Gardner interestingly, never played defense until his last year of high school. He was a forward. 
And then his coach figured out, well, I can double his minutes if I put him on the blue line. He played one year of high school hockey before he went to Wisconsin as a, as a defenseman. So that was part of the thinking. And uh, Luke's was good for us in Toronto. He just couldn't stay healthy. He's a great kid. Yeah, and Berkey, I'm not sure if you're too familiar the way it ended with Loops in Toronto, and it, it leaves a little bit of a sour taste in me and Uppy's mouth. And for me, I trained with Loops in the summer, and he pushed me and, and, and motivated me to get in there on the Monday mornings that maybe I didn't want to because, you know, I maybe had too good of a weekend. But the way it ended in Toronto, were you familiar with it? Did, did you see – I mean, it is what yeah. it is, but it was kind of a tough thing, right, Berkey? Yeah, well, it, these things sell the med well. Like, like when a player gets to the end of his career and he's making a lot of money – and he can't contribute, whether it's injury or just the, the games passed him by, it seldom is a, is a comfortable situation for anyone. You, you can't imagine if it was Lou Lamorello saying goodbye to Joffrey Lupo. That's no fun. He liked Joffrey Lupo. And so we do things as GMs that we don't like to do. I didn't like trading you. I didn't like trading Jimmy. I knew Jimmy was going to play. And, and we loved him as a kid. We loved his enthusiasm, his work ethic. But it's the price that you have to pay. It was to get Phil Kessel. And I remember when I went to Calgary, Matt Stajan came up to me right away because I had traded him out of Toronto. <laughs> he came up to me right away. He said, if I got a problem here, I said, Stage, we didn't want to trade you in Toronto. Calgary asked for you. We, lo- we loved having Matt Stajan. But I said, Stage, I'd trade two of you to get Dion Phaneuf. So it's not about you. It's about what I get back. I'd trade my little brother to get Dion <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. And that's got to be one of the hardest things. And, and Berkey, I wanted to ask you about the way you handle the media in Toronto, like, I don't know if the, if you tried to bully him back's the right word, but you, you have that Berkeyism about you where people, and listen, I was a young kid. I remember you know, when I asked for a trade in Portland and, and you, you flew in to catch the game and you called me, you said, Oh, we get the fuck in here. And I said, and you said, why is your agent calling me? And I said, well, Berkey, he said, and you said, you got the right last name to play in this organization, shut your mouth and go fucking play. And I did that. And I ended up making the NHL. Now, when you dealt with the media in Toronto, because we know it can be a nightmare for GMs, did you try to put that, like, Berkey back in it and just kind of bully him back a little bit, so to speak? Well, the problem with the media in Toronto is the size of the group. So you guys have been in the Toronto Maple Leafs dressing room. It's bigger than any other dressing room in the NHL. That's not for the players. That's for the media. So in Calgary, after a Wednesday night game, we might have 30 people, 35, maybe 40 in the dressing room. Wednesday night Leafs game, there's 60 or 70 people in there. Hockey night in Canada on Saturday night, there's 90 people in there. And so when you're not playing well, they all pick up a rock. And so 20 throw a rock at me, 20 at Ron Wilson, 20 at Phil Kessel, 20 at Dion. So when you're not playing well, there's overwhelming negativity. But it's not that the media are unfair. There's just a couple guys there that are really bad. The rest of the people are honest. And if you play, and I don't mind that. If we play poorly, You've got to write that. You've got to write that we played poorly. You're never going to get a phone call from me. I didn't like the cheap shots. In an effort to be different into the Toronto media, they take even a positive article, they'll take a little cheap shot at the player near the end. I didn't like that. And so I just told them when I didn't like what they wrote, I told them. I either call them into my office and tell them or I'd rip them in front of other people. I didn't care. Like to me, that someone's going to figure it out in Toronto and win. And that's going to be a great thing for our league. I wasn't able to get the job done. But in the meantime, part of my job description is not taking a bunch of crap from writers. Yeah, I agree. Broadway? Yeah, um, I was going to ask you, this is more of a future question. and uh, You've been involved so much with USA Hockey. Who are some players in the game right now that have an outside chance of making Team USA for the, the next Olympics? Like, for example, maybe uh, Kevin Hayes? 
Well, I had Kevin in the world championships, and he was a grumpy teammate, boy. What a grumpy guy. <laughs> what a pain in the ass. But he, he didn't talk to me the whole time I was there. I said hi to him the first day, and that was it. He didn't like talking to management. And you guys know me. I like to be tight with my players. And I, I couldn't get Kevin to talk to me at all. But he played well Shocking. He played well for me. Like, I liked having him on the team. Uh, he'd have to be a factor. USA Hockey has plugged in so many top young kids, you know, the Seth Joneses of the world, uh, the Kachuk brothers. I mean, they've done an amazing job of turning hockey players out. And I was through – that whole thing was in my career, you know. Like, like when we start, started the, the program in Ann Arbor, it's in Plymouth now. But, you know, the league stepped up and, and paid for that. And you look at the draft picks that have come out of there and look at Austin Matthews and look at these top young players – they're going to have a hard time picking that team. We didn't have that hard a time. We had some tough decisions at the end, but we probably had a pool of 35 guys to pick from. They got 75 now to pick from. So um, I think USA Hockey deserves a lot of credit for what they've done. And the way we picked the team. So they came to me after we won the cup in 07 in Anaheim. And they said, we want you to be the world, the GM of the world championships that year, 2009, and then be the GM of the Olympic team. And David Poyle was my associate GM. And I said to them, this is stupid how you pick teams. So they named me the GM, like in 03. I was the GM in 2003, or uh, what year was it? 1993, after Hartford. And and I picked the team. Just me and some help from USA Hockey, but I picked the team. I said, why don't we get a bunch of smart people in one room and pick the team by committee? So that's when we started the committee. That's when Dale Talon came in. That's when Stan Bowman came in. That's when Dean Lombardi came in. David Poyle was involved, uh, and we, we brought as many GMs in, U.S.-born GMs as we could, and so let's do a better job of doing this. So that's how we picked the Olympic team in 2010, and that's how they've picked every team since for the World Championship, not the World Juniors, that's a different staff, but for the World Championships and the Olympics. So they get, let's get more smart people around a table than just ask Brian Burke to pick the team. When you're building these teams, are you trying to build your team similar to an NHL team? Because a lot of these guys that you're picking are they're they're first class players. So how do you build a winning team for Team USA? Say adding like a guy that's going to be a third fourth line guy. Well, I I think you got to pick a team. So when I before I picked the U.S. Olympic team in 2010, I should say we, me and David, I went to Phoenix and met with Jerry Colangelo, who had put the dream team together for USA basketball. And he, he promised me a half hour. He had some business crisis that day, so I got 15 minutes with him. But it was 15 of the best minutes I ever spent in my life because he said, look, you've got to take a team. Don't take the best players. Don't take the 20 best players. You've got to take a team. So we – and he also said, make it about more than USA Hockey. Make it about the country. So we had a real close tie with the military. We had Green Berets and Navy SEALs and Army Rangers come in and talk to the guys. And in the Vancouver Olympics, each player had a memento from a, a veteran, a wounded veteran, in their stall. Like Ryan Miller had a round that was taken out of a U.S. Marine's body who lived. He had the actual round that was taken out of his body. So wow. we made it about this is Team USA. It's not USA Hockey. It's Team USA. And then we picked a team. So we took Timmy Gleason. And people laughed at me for taking Timmy Gleason. They're like, why are you taking Timmy Gleason? There's five American defensemen better than him. I said, who's going to kill penalties on this team? And Tim Gleason ended up being a really critical part of our team, let our team in block shots, killed every penalty. I took Chris Drury. 
And Chris Drury was on the back nine then. Everyone said, why are you taking Chris Drury? I said, because he's Chris Drury. I, I thought it was a stupid question. I'm like, because it's Chris Drury. All he does is win. He ended up being one of our most important players and a real leader. Took most a lot of key face-offs, killed penalties. Really important part of our team. And Phil Kessel hit the crossbar in overtime. People forget that was almost a gold medal team. We tied it up late in the game and lost in overtime on a great goal by Sidney Crosby. But I think you put together teams still. You still need third and fourth line guys. Obi knows this. The, the cup team in Anaheim, our third line is the reason we beat a couple of teams that we beat. We had Travis Mullen, Sammy Paulson, and Robbie Niedermeyer. And they not only shut down the Twins, they shut down Zetterberg. They shut down Jason Spezza. They actually outscored the top line five on five in each round that they played. They were magnificent. That was the difference in a couple of those series. That's incredible. Yeah, that, no, they were, incredible. I mean, they that line, even throughout the regular season before I got moved, that was the line that made us go. I mean, we they play against the top line. Randy would match them. And like Berkey said, they would chip in offensively for yeah. us. And speaking of Robbie Niedemeyer, he, him and Scotty couldn't be two different guys, Berkey. Scotty doesn't say a whole lot, and, and Robbie doesn't stop chirping. So I sat beside him in the practice room, and he, I mean, he was a veteran guy that just made me feel a little more comfortable. And the thing I say about that team, Berkey, was, was our dressing room, man. Like, you know, going in there and then, you know, I ended up playing at a lot of places, but just, just the respect everyone had in there and, and the fun it was coming to the rink. As a rookie, I knew it was something special. So, uh, Updog, I know we want to we ask you about... Yeah, I'm an Alberta boy, Berkey, and um, do a talk show up in, up in Edmonton, a lot of talk just about the Oilers lately. And um, I want to ask you, we're talking about picking teams, but, you know, Kenny Holland at the, at the, at the helm here with, with a coach that I had, Dave Tippett, uh, you couldn't have two better guys in place to kind of, f- you know, fix a, a, maybe a broken program uh, and take, you know, two of the most elite players in the world uh, into the playoffs again. But, you know, from goaltending to toughness to the defense, like, is there anything that, you know, they can do better as a team or, or just what do you see there in Edmonton that's just not clicking? Because we, we need these guys in the playoffs. We need these young players, uh, you know, on a platform for everyone to watch. Well, last year, I think it's a great question. Last year, their special teams were special. They were first in the NHL on power play, and I think they were second on PK or third. They were truly special, and that's why they had such a successful year. This year, their special teams aren't special yet. They'll fix that. And Dave Tippett's a hell of a coach. Kenny Holland will sort this out. They, they, they'll, they'll figure this out. But it's a combination of you got two of the best players on the planet, but that eats up a lot of cap space. So you got, you know, 20 million tied up in two guys. And you see in Toronto, they got 40 million tied up in four guys. It's really hard to bring in quality pieces and still be under the cap, but he'll figure it out. Last year, they got good goaltending until the playoffs. This year, it's just been okay. Mike Smith's hurt, but uh, Kenny Holland will sort it out. If I had to, you told me my last thousand dollars I own in my life that I had to bet on someone, I'd bet on Kenny Holland. Well, there you go. Uh, Berkey, yeah, I mean, for me in Edmonton, it's just the back end. Like, I love Tyson Berry, and it bears his offensive threat, but I just if, – if you were building that team on the back end, would you not just try to get six guys that could just defend because you have so much firepower up front? You could just – you could literally give McDavid a two-foot pass. He'll take care of it. Is there a different way to build their back end, Berkey, in today's game? Well, I think they thought their back end would play better than they have so far. I think they really believed in those young guys that they were ready to take a step. Now their best defenseman is injured. That doesn't help. Yeah, that's true. But the fact of the matter is I don't think they overestimated the ability of these guys. They just haven't played well enough yet. 
and Ethan Barrett was a healthy scratch for a game. I, I have a radio show in Edmonton as well with Bob Stoffer, so I watch that team closely. Their D has been dreadful, and I, I don't I don't think they're dreadful players, but they haven't played well. And so I think they went into the season thinking, okay, we got lots of firepower. We added some third and fourth line guys that make us a little more stable, and we believe our young D will take a step, which they haven't yet. Again, you, it's hard. I was a forward. Everyone thinks I was a defenseman because I love defensemen because my scoring stats were so poor that I was just a low-skill forward. But the fact is playing defense in our league is hard, and the North Division is hard. Right now, it's really – they got a couple of elite teams. You know, Calgary's really improved. Montreal's really improved. It's not easy playing defense in the NHL. So I think they'll come out of it. But right now, that when I watch them play, I see their D isn't playing well enough. Not that their D's not good enough, but they're not playing well enough yet. Yeah, that's a great point. And Berkey, I want to stay in the North Division with you, buddy. And we both got ties to Vancouver. Um, our boy, Travis Green, doesn't have an extension yet. I've watched this team the last two or three years. He's changed the culture. They had a great return to play. I got, I got two questions for you. One, why doesn't Greener have an extension? Are you, are you worried it won't, get ha- it won't happen? And Jim Benning takes a lot of heat, Berkey, for Markstrom leaving, Tanif leaving, Levo leaving. Was he a little gun-shy just to make, like you said, some of the best deals you don't do on July 1st, although it wasn't that this year, are the ones you don't sign. Is Greener in trouble, or, or, and Jim Benning just didn't want to sign guys for him? No. First off, let, let's focus, on, and we're going to talk about this tonight, actually. Let's focus on what Jim Benning has done well. He got, he got Elias Pettersson, I think it's seven. Like, this wasn't a top three pick. And he, he got a superstar at seven. He got Brock Besser much later than other. Quinn Hughes was seventh, I think. So he's drafted extremely well. Pod Colson's coming in April, I think, if he's done with St. Petersburg. So they've got really good young players. And then they got into Capel. Now, some of it's not Jim Benning's fault. Like, they still got the Luongo buyout. On, on their books, $3 million. That's a, that's a good number for a defenseman, $3 million. Yeah. They can't spend that. The Erickson contract, okay, they did that contract. The Spooner buyout's a million. They did that contract. Sven Berchie's costing them $2 million in the minors. So they've got $6 million in dead money, and, and then they got the Louis Erickson contract. So that's on the team. That, they can't duck that. But the things they've done well, and so they had to let these guys go. They couldn't give Tyler Toffoli what, they gave, what Montreal gave him. They couldn't give Markstrom uh, what he got. They couldn't give Tanner what he got. Now, I think a lot of people are, are assuming that that Markstrom deal is a good deal for the whole six years. We'll find out. A lot of those long-term deals age very poorly. He's playing spectacular, and I love him. I love the signing. But let's see how that one ages, too. Yeah, and just real quick, Berkey, on our boy Greener, I think he's a great coach. Is it oh, yeah, just, sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's Obi. okay. I, I kind of double sorry. hit you there. But what, what, just what about Greener? What are your thoughts on? Will it get done, or, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you're going to see right now, I think the issue, and I haven't talked to Travis about it, and I haven't talked to Jim Benning about it. This is Brian Burke's view on life. You're seeing difficulty signing coaches and GMs because the market has shifted. The revenue base of this league has been chopped dramatically. That's affecting what players get paid, and it's affecting what front office people get paid too. So are you going to see another $6 million a year coach anytime soon? Not in my opinion, not even close. So Travis, I'm guessing, is on the heels of this adjustment, what's fair? What was fair a year ago is not fair today. And so my guess is that's why they're stuck. I know they love Travis Green and they want him to come back, but what what coaches get paid has changed. What TV people get paid has changed. 
the whole industry has been downsized and it's not going to recover until the vaccination, the vaccine is widely distributed and we get back to normal crowds and so on, see what the new US TV deal is like. But I think the cap's going to be flat for another three years. I don't think that's going to change. I don't think our revenues are going to rebound right away and not everyone's going to get vaccinated and not everyone's going to rush back to an arena with 15,000 people in it where they can catch a disease that can kill them. So I think that my guess is that's the holdup is what would have been fair 12 months ago probably isn't fair today. And they got to they got to work that out. They got to figure it out. Yeah, that's well said by you. I'm just I'm a big fan of Travis Green. But like you said, there everyone's feeling the squeeze a little bit. So that, that makes sense to me. Broadway, what do you got? I was just going to touch on another team that is struggling and a team that's had so much success in the past is the Chicago Blackhawks. In your opinion, what's going on there? They had Leonard. They've had Crawford. They let them walk. They even let a coach like Joe Quinville go. I don't know what the issue is there. They have the great leadership in Kane. I know Taves is out, but what do you think is the problem in Chicago? Well, all those guys, Jimmy, when they go buy gas, they all got three rings on. <laughs> so that's the problem. That's the problem. You can't win three rings in what, six years, seven years, and not have a rebuilding process. So the roller coaster goes down, you go fast, it's a great ride, and then it struggles up the hill on the other side. They're on the back end of the winningest team for a decade. And San Jose might be on the back nine now too. They got close. Their window might be closed. I don't know yet. Boston might be on the back nine. Who knows? But you've got to applaud in a hard cap system. If you have success, you're going to have to rebuild at some point. They got three Stanley Cups there. Those banners will be hanging in Chicago Stadium or United Arena, whatever it is now, for a long time. And Jonathan Taves, for the rest of his life, when he goes to buy gas, he's wearing three rings. So to me, this is what Stan Bowman did a wonderful job. This is the backside of that record. You flip the record over, the hit's on the A side. You guys are too young, but old 45 records. The hit's <laughs> on one side. The, the, the record on the other side, that song never gets played. It's some dog, right? The B side. <laughs> this is the flip side of the record. Yeah, but I just don't understand how they, like you had Leonard. Is it an issue of do you not want to overpay a goalie? But I feel like these teams now, they always have that number one goalie. The teams that are winning cups have a number one goalie, and that seems like that's a big issue in Chicago right now. Right, and they made a conscious decision there. I agree with that, Jimmy. You can question that. I think they question how these contracts would age. And again, Robin Leonard, I'm a huge fan. I actually get to know him a little bit. I really like him. I like him as a goaltender. I like him as a person. We'll see how that contract ages too. Like, look, you know, you look at Mark andre Fleury's contract. You think anyone thinks that, that one's aging well? Yeah. <laughs> so that's the problem. And, and you can look at it. You can say, you know, Kyle Turris, Ottawa said, we're not going to give Kyle Turris big money, and they shipped him out. Guess what? They were right. I like Kyle Turris, but he wasn't worth the money that he was paid in Nashville. And now he's working on another team, and hopefully he'll bounce back. But you got to make financial decisions with, with, with uh, especially – we got so many teams that are in cap trouble that haven't won a bloody thing. That's the aggravating part. At least Chicago, they had cap trouble. They got three rings. Yeah, they got yeah. three banners. They had three parades. Guess what? I'll take that anytime. If you tell me as a GM, you can have three parades, but then you're going to suck for a couple of years <laughs> while you put it back together. Count me in. Yeah, yeah I agree. And, and, and Berkey, we love doing this with you. We could do it all day. I just, I just want your opinion on this. We've talked about it throughout. Everyone talks about it. It's the McDavid McKinnon. If you, if this is a rich people problem. If you had to pick one to build your squad right now, for me, it's Nathan McKinnon. Who would you pick if you had to choose one of those two guys? Well, this is, if I asked you who's the best-looking actress in Hollywood, 
what would you say? Well, Jessica Biel back in the Marco day, I would have said. Right, Marco, Marco Robbie's hot. Yeah. yeah. Charlize Theron. Okay. Uh, aren't they... Aren't you okay with either one of those? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but, but yeah, we, okay we like them all. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's subjective, but the fact of the matter is they're both great players. And you can say, as a GM, you could say, well, if I got to pick any player in the league, I'm not taking a forward anyway. I'm taking a goaltender or a defenseman because that's how you win. So to me, they're both great players. And you can't leave Dreisaitl out of that conversation. He was our Ross winner last year, MVP. They're all superstars. Now, McDavid's the flashiest. The way he skates, he sells tickets. People go to watch Connor McDavid. Nathan McKinnon is more powerful and, and maybe uses line mates better, has a, maybe a harder shot, a really great player. Leon Dreisaitl, much more blue-collar workmanlike, all three zones, kills penalties. You put them in a hat and pick one, and you're happy. Yeah. So, like to me, Jessica Beale or Charlize, whatever her name is, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay Charlie. with either one of those. <laughs> Berkey, if I bring either one of them home, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Berkey, well said, buddy. And listen, I want to tell this one story before you let you go. For so, when Berkey would come down, I got, to, a couple, I got a couple minutes. Obi, I got a couple minutes if you want. Okay, okay. Um, the the one story I love this Berkey would come into Portland to once a month to watch us play right he'd come in he probably just flew from the West Coast we'd get in there and he'd have the tie around the neck Berkey style he'd be like, oh but you, you got a chew I said yeah Berkey it's in my it's in my locker there so he'd go in and take a chew next morning every fucking time Berkey would do this I come in he'd say hey check your stall there Obes a fresh new tin of school mint for for a kid that was in the minors Berkey that's classy I mean it, it made me feel unbelievable so it's it's something I've always thought about you I'm like he didn't have to do that so uh, from one chewer to another I always appreciate that one buddy well I'll tell an Obi story so I come into Hershey for that game seven and I flew into you fly into uh what's the state capital Harrisburg and the flight was late. And I'm in Chicago looking at my watch going, geez, I'm going to miss this game. So I got there late in the first. And Obi's got this massive skate cut on his face. I go in the dressing room just to see what's going on. And I hear him yelling, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, <laughs> goddammit. And so I look in the training room. And the doc's throwing in, like, how many did you get, Obi? 60? I got, yeah, by, by the end, it was, like, closer to 80. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, and he's yelling at the doctor, hurry up, I got to get out there, hurry up. And I was like, this kid's going to be all right. <laughs> um, yeah, Berkey, um, honestly, buddy, I, I respect We all respect you. You're great for the game. Um, and just thank you so much for coming on here. We know you're a busy guy. We appreciate it. And uh, from me and Uppy, can you ask Juice what, what's with that haircut that he's rocking now? Has he gone Hollywood on us? What's with BX's haircut up there? <laughs> I know, it's a COVID haircut. It looks like <laughs> someone did it in his Someone in his family did it for him. He thinks it, he thinks it looks good, though, which is really embarrassing. Um, oh, yeah, so great. thank you very much, Berkey. Uh, we'd love to have you back on, buddy, and um, you're a legend, bud. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks, Obi. Thanks, Jimmy. See ya. See you, buddy. Appreciate you, you, Berkey. Um, well, boys, I mean, what can you say about Berkey? Hazy, besides the fact that he traded us, but like I said, you get a first-round pick for Shane O'Brien. Uh, I think that's the deal of the century. I, I mean, that's that's four. I'm going to consider myself an Irishman, but that's like four Irishmen just sitting around the table shooting the shit. Uh, I, Berkey is how crispy is is he? He's a, you know pure beauty. Uh, Obi, the relationship you and him had, uh, I think to listeners out there, they never know like you know what it's like for the GM and the players or the coach and the players. But 
man, you guys just, you, you hit it right on the head. Like when you have a classy guy like that, that everyone respects the stories you remember about him, um, him taking care of younger players and loving his teammates. Uh, it, it says a lot about who the guy is. Yeah. And just probably before we get your final thoughts on Berkey, another thing I, I didn't get a chance to say, we all know how I feel about Bob Hartley and, and Berkey came in and let Jay Feaster go. And um, right when he came in, Hartley wanted to put me on waivers and, and Ber- Berkey stuck up for me and kept me there another month and a half, almost two months. And then he did call me after I got put on waivers and we had a great conversation. He said, Obes, I've always loved you. I think you're an NHL defenseman. I'm going to try to retain some salary for you because you're, you know, I was, <laughs> I was making fucking 2.2 that year, which was, was nice, but it, <laughs> I was playing four minutes a night. So I was like, fuck, who's going to want me? Um, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to call. He didn't have to. And then when I was down there, he kept checking in. So uh, Berkey, you're an absolute legend, buddy. Keep, keep, uh, keep your, your thought of the game because he's, he's old school, but he's still smart. He knows the new game, but he still thinks we need that truculence, as he would say. But Broadway, what are your final thoughts on the good Irishman? Yeah, I, I just love his honesty. Like that's what you said. And as a player, you appreciate that. You know what you're getting with him. He's uh, very outspoken and he has his players backs. Like he's got, he's been a GM in those big markets and every guy that I've known loves playing for him. And no, Berkey, just keep doing what you're doing. Cause I know the hockey world loves you. And so do all your players. And just for our fans out there, Brian Burke's Berkey's law, a life in hockey is book written yeah. by, uh, written by Stephen Brunt, who actually did uh, Theron Fleury and Jordan Tutu's book. So uh, Berkey's an incredible storyteller. We want you all to go check out that book, and uh, we hope to have him on again yeah. soon. Yeah, and um, a little house cleaning on the missing curfew here. We got uh, Updog. I don't know if it's a compliment or slap in the face, but we got some people selling some some fake missing curfew. Yeah, Whoa. let's just get this out there, boys. There are two websites wow. trying to compete for you know our product. Our product. Like, is that a compliment? Was I don't that know how Hey, yeah, I'm like, it, it is. You're the CEO somewhere. of this fucking you company. Know what? We got some pretty loyal. <laughs> we got some loyal listeners. Um, you know, a lot of people have been supporting the pod uh, by buying, you know, our merch. And hell, it's nice T-shirts. So you're not going to find the same softness as you will on our products as these other fucking websites. Yeah. So anyway, stick to missingcurfew.com. We appreciate your support and. Uh, you know, we'll take care of them when we see them out. Yeah, and those fuckers who are selling it, look out. We may track you down. We still got, we all yeah, got one can, good hey, fight. I can us. send somebody. Um, we'll send Mark send Prince somebody after him. He'll find out who they yeah, are. Yeah, Prince, get out there and fucking get them. I'm missing curfew, curfew clips. clips, baby. Um, boys, I, I love doing this with you every week. We're going to try to do two a week moving forward here once I get off my three week vacation that I, I'm on. But hey, we have a, <laughs> I'm not going to ruin it. We have a special guest coming on for Super Bowl week next week, a good buddy of me and Uppy. So, for you football fans out there, tune in next week. Uh, as always, Broadway, I love you. Updog, thank you. And, and guys, thanks for listening. <laughs>